So this to me is, is like the proverbial put your oxygen mask on first before you put oxygen masks on, on your kids or, you know, those around you. And I really, really, truly believe that. And I feel it when my batteries are depleted, I'm not showing up as the best mom. I'm not showing up as the best partner. I'm not showing up as the best financial advisor or leader. And so I think it's just one of these things that I try very hard to commit to, even when things are really busy to make time for myself. Hi there, thanks for joining us. I'm Joanna Arisman. And I'm Leah Alter. And this is Women Share, a marketing guide for women in financial services. And boy, do we have a powerhouse for you all today with our guest, Anne McCabe. Thank you so much for joining us on Women Share. A native of Atlanta and a graduate of George Mason University, Anne has been in the financial ind- services industry since 2001. She knew this was the career for her, and this was her calling when a hiring manager told her she'd be successful if she had the heart of a social worker and the mind of a capitalist. A compassionate, driven leader, Anne embodies this approach in financial planning for her clients through her steady pursuit of growth and the satisfaction she finds in inspiring others and seeing them reach their goals. Over the course of her career, Anne has gone from Wall Street to entrepreneur. Before co-founding Curo Private Wealth in 2014, Anne spent a decade gaining Wall Street experience at Ameriprise Financial, UBS, and Wells Fargo. Ultimately, she made the decision to co-found an independent wealth management firm in 2010 and shortly after acquired the prestigious CFP designation. Anne has consistently been on the Washingtonian, Washingtonian, (laughs) you nailed it. Okay. (laughs) Magazine top money advisor since 2016 and was named to investment news national list 40 under 40 in 2017. Anne is a, is passionate about balancing work with her mental and physical health while also raising two sons as a single mother. We are so excited to have you join us today, and thank you and welcome to Women Share. Thank you, and I am equally excited to be with you. So, thanks for the invitation. All right, to get things started, tell us a little bit about Kiro Private Wealth, how your business is structured, how big is your practice, the types of clients you serve. Give us the lay of the land. Yeah. So, we are first of all located in the DC metropolitan area. We have a an office in Virginia, so I sit in our Virginia office and then we also have an office across the bridge in Maryland. We do comprehensive financial planning. We are a very planning centric firm, so we will not even take on a new client at this point unless they agree to do a plan with us. We very much believe in planning. And then we also do proactive investment management as well. Um, We have about, it depends on the day, of course, but about 480 million in assets under management. And the two types of clients with whom we love working are families who are looking to retire and then women who are going through some sort of life transition. So think became a widow, unfortunately, going through a divorce, received an inheritance, that kind of thing. So those are the two kinds of clients that we love working with. 
Um, that's awesome. And I know that the your Curo has gone through kind of an evolution and you guys have some new partners over the last few years. Has that how has that str- really strengthened the the firm and um, also how you serve your clients really? So if if we rewind a little bit to 2014, I I started Kiro Private Wealth as a sole practitioner, you know, independent advisor, and um, I had two support people, um, support team members back in 2020. I was introduced to a firm called Blue Spring Wealth Partners, which Leah knows well, and um, we started discussing a possible acquisition. So I, at the time, was 37, I want to say, when we started talking, and I always thought of you know, selling my firm when I was ready to retire. I never thought about selling my firm you know, at the ripe young age of uh, 37. But the value proposition of Blue Spring was you can be part of something bigger than yourself. And my firm had gotten to a place, a really pivotal place, I would say, where I needed to invest a lot of time and resources to take it to the next level. So we had really great growth. We were you know, very successful. Clients were really happy. But I knew deep down that I needed to make a different change moving forward. If you're familiar with the book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There?, that's what was going on in my mind at that time. And so it was almost like serendipitous that I was introduced to the folks at Blue Spring. And it, it felt just so right at the time for me to do this. So the way that it's shown up in terms of benefiting our clients and benef- benefiting me really is I can spend a lot more of my time now doing the things that I love doing and adding the most value to the firm and letting my team members around me do what they do best and how they add the most value to the firm. So it is really like a one plus one equals three in the team structure that we have now. So it's been an incredible partnership. It's been a lot of work merging, you know, merging two firms together is not an easy feat. But I think our clients are noticing a difference, which is great. And, and they're noticing an enhanced level of service, which is really exciting and important to me for, for us to continue to do. Well, and it's a great example. Like there's people in the world who love to deal with systems and technology. Let them deal with it and you can get back to the clients, right? Yes, so, exactly. <laughs> that's great to hear that it's a successful partnership. Yeah. Well, and I and I think that really does play into another area of your life that you have said is so important to you. Maintaining your physical, your spiritual, and your mental health is critical to your success. And so we're so curious, like, tell us, what does that mean to you? And how do you prioritize that in a day-to-day life, especially for someone as busy and, you know, in, in as many client meetings and everything else that you're doing? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So this to me is is like the the proverbial put your oxygen mask on first before you put oxygen masks on on your kids or you know those around you. And I really really truly believe that and I feel it when my batteries are depleted, I'm not showing up as the best mom, I'm not showing up as the best partner, I'm not showing up as the best financial advisor or leader. And so I think it's just one of these things that I try very hard to commit to, even when things are really busy, to make time for myself. So at this point in my life, it's a little crazy. It used to be before I got divorced, um, I would wake up super early in the morning, I would go to the gym, I'd get my workout in, come home, take care of the kids, et cetera. 
everything sort of changed when I got divorced, obviously. I couldn't leave my young children at home by themselves to go to the gym anymore. So I had to really change. So now what I do, and this may sound insane, but every Friday I carve out time for what I call reflection and planning. So I reflect on the week, what worked, what didn't work, what were our wins, what do I think we need to be doing differently, you know, highlights and things that may may not have been so positive in the week. And then I look two weeks out at my calendar and I look at my work calendar to see what client meetings we have coming up. Are we prepared? How do those look? And I also look at my personal calendar and then I actually book my workouts in my personal calendar because I'm not at a place anymore in my life where I can say every morning at 5 a.m. I'm working out. Some days it is going to be 5 a.m. Some days it's going to be 4 p.m. Some days it's going to be 6 p.m. I don't know. But I 100% am committed to myself to getting a minimum of three workouts in a week, if not ideally five. And I'm just booking them in the calendar and I'm treating them like those are our top, top, top client relationships that I would never reschedule on. So that's where I am now. And then from a spiritual perspective, um, I learned meditation a number of years ago, probably I don't know, 12, 13 years ago at this point, I went on a retreat. And so even sometimes taking five minutes out of my day to do some deep breathing exercises or some mindful exercises is so helpful, especially when I feel like I don't have the time to do it. So when I don't have the time is when I try to make time. And again, it doesn't have to be 20 minutes. When when I can make it 20 minutes, it's lovely. But even just that five minute in the middle of a crazy day, like turning off my computer, do not disturb on my phone and just doing some breathing, some mindfulness, like checking in with myself is key. I love that you say too, that like when you don't have time, that's when you make sure you have time. I I feel like that is worth repeating like a, a million times just for all of us in our life. When you're like, oh, I don't have time to do that. And I know it's a priority. That's when you're like, ding, ding, ding. Yeah. <laughs> this needs to be done. <laughs> Yeah, it's the same thing. I, you know, some of my friends will come to me and be like, I really want to get a workout routine in, you know, like what advice do you have? And it's the same thing when you don't feel like working out, like when you're like, oh, I don't, I, whatever your workouts are, by the way, they could be going for a walk or they could be spin class or whatever your, you know, yoga, whatever your workout of choice is. But when you don't feel like working out should be a key to yourself. Like this is when you need it the most, because I promise you, no one ever regrets working out, right? No one ever goes for a walk and is like, oh man, I feel terrible. They're like, that was amazing. I'm so glad I made the time. So I think it's the case with everything. Like when you don't want to make that client call, that's probably when you should make the call. When you don't want to work out, that's probably when you should work out, right? So I think it, it, it goes for so many different areas of our life. And I just love the intentionality of how you're approaching this, right? It, it actually makes sense, like given you're a planning focus firm, you're applying the same type of principles to your just your own life and the way you you operate personally. So I can imagine that comes through very authentically with your clients as well. Yeah, so, thank you. I, I think so. <laughs> I like yeah. to think so anyway. Well, along those lines, as marketers, Leah and I by background, we're always curious to hear what's working for you in growing your practice. And you'd mentioned that great client service is your best marketing. So want to hear more about that and just hear where are you finding success that a listener to the show might be able to walk away with, with some ideas or things they could implement in their own practice? Yeah. So I think our client service um, starts with our client service model. So when we 
merged our firms a couple of years ago, we intentionally sat down and said, what do we want our client experience to look and feel like? And the, the our Maryland side of the business is a 40-year-old practice. So as you all know, our industry has gone through many iterations. And so that that side of the business really looks like a 40-year-old practice. And so that both comes with a lot of opportunity and also some challenges. So we really wanted to create a vision for the client experience that we wanted clients to, to feel. So it's, it really starts with our client service model. So we have our entire book of business segmented. Everybody on the team knows who, you know, who which clients are in which segment and what it means from a communication standpoint, a turnaround for request standpoint, what they're getting um, in terms of, you know, possibly gifts or events they'll be invited to, that kind of thing. So I think it really starts there. And then the other thing I think we do a really good job at is getting to know our clients on a very personal level. So let's say someone refers a client to our firm and we want to send them a thank you gift. We're not sending them um, a generic, you know, thank you gift that we're sending every other client. Um, if I know that this particular client loves wine, I'm going to try to, you know, get them a nice bottle of wine. If I know they love jewelry, maybe I'll find something on on Uncommon Goods. I don't know if you all are familiar with that site, but it's amazing and so many unique gifts. So, my point being, we really try to get to know clients um, so that we can, so that they really feel like they're part of our family. Curo in Latin means to care, and that is what our firm is about. And so I, I want our clients to feel that deep level of care. And what ends up happening is we try to surprise and delight so much so that clients have to talk about us. So if they hear a coworker or a friend say, oh, you know what, I called my financial advisor and I never heard back, or, oh, you know what, I just got an inheritance. I don't know what to do with it. That automatically top of mind, our clients are like, oh, you know, we know who you should reach out to, no questions asked. And then we can wow that prospective client and hopefully bring them on board and just continue to repeat that process as we grow. That's fantastic. And are you capturing that in a CRM system or where did the segmentation oh, yeah. live? Okay. Got yeah, it. yeah. We yeah. use Redtail for our CRM. Um, we have a saying in our firm, if it's not in Redtail, it didn't happen. So <laughs> we <laughs> love it. Yeah. We document everything because as our, as our team is growing. So, you know, I went from me with two support team members, so three people to now we're at eight and we're actively trying to hire. By the way, if there are any advisors listening to this and, and you're not very happy with your firm, reach out to us, please, because we are hiring. Uh, but as we continue to grow, you know, I, I can't talk to everybody on our team and say, oh, hey, I talked to, you know, Sally yesterday and she mentioned that she went to this great winery. Like, I, I just can't, we can't have the, that conversation every time. So from an efficiency, a scalability, a repeatable process standpoint, everything goes into Redtail. Well, and then you have access to all that data, right? Which is we know not just the information about our clients, which is super important, but we know how they got here. We oh, know yeah. what, what channels got them here so that we know where we should put time and effort and resources on a go forward. Yep. Um, and, and I'm going to steal Joanna's question because I know she's thinking it. We talked about it in one of our first episodes, which is, you know, one of the opportunities that Joanna sees a lot that she talked about in that episode is is advisors actually asking those happy clients for referrals. So 
do you all have those conversations or is, does it happen just because of that great service? Do you, I mean, is yeah. that part of your protocol? No, it's not. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> and you probably hate hearing. Tell me answer. more. I'm gasping. I'm gasping. <laughs> no, I, I, there's valid reasons. So go ahead. Okay. It, Cause it's like a passionate. No, I don't know if you could, um, as I say, as I tell my kids, sometimes when they ask me something, they know, like when I say that's a hard no, like that's a hard no. But here's why. When I grew up in the business, I started at uh, American Express, which very quickly uh, thereafter became Ameriprise. And I was trained to ask for referrals in just the most hideous way. So, you know, hey, Leah, um, yeah, I remember you telling me that you went golfing last weekend. Like, do, who, who'd you go golfing with? And, um, you know, do you mind making an introduction uh, to to them? And, and just very uncomfortable, very unnatural conversations. So, Here's what I do do. I will not ask for a referral, but I always let clients know that if they refer someone to our practice, no matter what, even if they don't end up being the right fit, that I will take, I will have at least a 15 minute conversation with them and that I will try to add value in whatever way I can. Again, even if they're not a good fit, that is something that I will absolutely do. I will always offer any of their friends, family members, a second opinion, a second set of eyes. And that's something that we're happy to do. So I do talk about that frequently. And I believe that, you know, it's a passive way, but I do believe people hear me. And I believe that by bringing that up, they know that we're growing. I mean, one of, one of the worst days of my life was when, not really, I'm exaggerating, but, but what, what a shocking moment was when a client told me that he referred one of his coworkers to another advisor because he assumed we weren't taking on clients. And I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, I will never let that happen again. So I do make a point to, to reiterate that we, we are growing our firm and we do want to help more people. And that's our mission is to help as many people as we possibly can. But I do not directly ask for referrals. I would counter that you do just in a really <laughs> smart way, right? Yeah. Okay. I was sure to say in like, like your you own it. authentic way you are doing it and it's not cringy at all. Cause the first way, the first example you get, yay. I think we both were just like, oh, oh. yeah. 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 Like quasi stalker. Yeah. Like, Hey, yeah. Like, hey. I, I, well, I know hey. what you did on Thursday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I know you were wearing Facebook too. at 11 o'clock. Um, <laughs> yeah. The awesome. other thing, the other thing I will, um, I will add is back to the gifts. We're a big kind of gift giving firm. And when we receive a referral from a client, we write them a handwritten card again, even if they don't onboard and we send them a little, um, Starbucks gift card, like $5 gift card. And we just say like, thanks so much for thinking of us. Thanks so much for the referral. If we onboard a new client from a referral, we always send a gift to that client. So the other thing we're doing, in addition to passively mentioning that we are accepting new clients, is we're positively reinforcing the behavior when they do refer us. We're showing a lot of gratitude. Um, and we're also keeping them updated on the process because I think sometimes especially when you get busy, um, it's hard to, to follow up with the, with the client who referred and say, Hey, Joanna, thank you so much for referring, you know, Kathy to our practice. You know, here's where we are obviously without sharing any sort of personal confidential information, but just 
making them feel like you appreciate and you're grateful for the introduction and you know how huge it is for someone to trust you enough that they'll refer you to a friend or neighbor or you know coworker i think is also reinforcing the fact that yes we want your referrals yes we want to continue to grow this is a priority for us and we'll take great care of of those folks for you well and i feel like what you're explain, ex- explaining and sort of the process not only is very authentic, but it's very demonstrative of of a woman and how she engages with people and makes people feel heard and seen and that we understand you. We know what you like and we're follow, you know, following up on someone who's important to you. And I really do think that that is um, a unique talent that women advisors especially bring to the table. So that being said, as a woman advisor (laughs) in this industry, I know you've been in the business now 20 plus years. So how have things changed since maybe you came into the business and where do you think there's still work to be done and, and kind of where you see that we're headed? So don't age me more than I am. It's like 17 years, not 20 plus, just to be. (laughs) I thought it was 2001. Yeah. Well, that was when I started in banking, like before college. So Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. But as an advisor. Not not trying to age you, I promise. (laughs) Please don't. Please don't. Um, Just trying to get everyone to catch up to me. That's all. I remember when I first started out, like I desperately wanted to, you know, look and seem and act older. And now I'm like, no, 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 I, I uh, just want to stop the clock. So I think a lot has changed. I, in one sense, I think a lot has changed in our industry. And in another, I don't think a lot has changed. And I'll explain what I mean. So when I got into the industry, I remember I used to wear, you know, like pantsuits every day. And my hiring manager told me I needed to learn how to play golf because that's where the business was done. Like if I was going to make it in this business, I needed to learn how to golf. I took some lessons, but I don't golf and I've been able to figure it out just fine. So for any, any women out there who are like, I don't golf, you're going to be okay. So at a certain point, I decided that instead of trying to show up as one of the guys, which was what I was doing, right. And trying to take golf and and not that women can't play golf. I just didn't do it because I really authentically wanted to. And, you know, wearing the pantsuits, I started to embrace what I brought to the table that was different as a woman. So I started dressing the way that I wanted to. Like I'm in a jacket today, but I wear dresses all the time. I love fashion. Like I want to feel like the female advisor who I am. I don't want to feel like I'm, you know, one of the the dudes. So I, and I think I see advi- female advisors, especially newer advisors embracing more of the feminine side, which I think is fantastic. So I do feel like that's changing. What I don't see changing is the actual numbers of women advisors in the industry. And I feel like we have more women in the industry. When I go to conferences, we seem more represented and um, the the bathroom line is getting a little bit longer on the women's versus the men's, (laughs) but I'm not seeing it in the numbers. So from that standpoint, I think we have a whole lot of work to do. And this is one of the things um, we were talking about on, on this panel a couple of days ago is like, what can we do as an industry to attract more women 
because a lot of women think this is a good old boys club. Um, and, and we also need to do a better job, frankly, of attracting more young talent as well, both male and female. So I think we've, we've made some progress, but we have a lot of work to do. And one of my life missions is to try to move the needle even just a bit. So that is something that I, I think about very fre- frequently. How can we get more, more women in the business? Because I do think we are exceptional financial planners and financial advisors. Not that our, you know, male friends aren't great. They are. And women are exceptional. Yes. That's what kind of the ethos of the show, right? Of like giving women more of a platform. It's not to take away from everybody, but I think we all agree clients are better off. The industry is better off with women having more of a seat at the table. Curious to hear from the panel. You mentioned you were on a few days ago on this topic. What what were some of the ideas proposed of how to address specifically, I guess, the pipeline problem of younger women advisors? Did they identify any particular barriers or ways to solve it? Because we'd love to get that those ideas out in the community of people who are listening to this show. Yeah. Well, Lena, shout out to Lena, who was on Lena. your show. Yes. <laughs> She's amazing. So she uh, she was one of the women on the panel. And she had a great idea, which is just, we need to get in to high schools, like forget college level or post-college. We need to get in at the high school level and successful female advisors need to go and speak to classes so that young, you know, these girls can see, oh, wow, this is a role model. This is a female advisor who's successful in her profession. She also has kids. She also can, you know, take good, takes good care of herself, that kind of thing. So I thought that was a, a phenomenal idea. I think the other thing we need to do is be better mentors. So I shared a story on the panel. Um, This was when I was back at a wirehouse and I walked into a very successful female advisor's office. There, There was one in my office at the time and I asked her to mentor me because I had a male mentor at the time and I really wanted um, a female mentor. And she said no. And the reason she said no is because she said I was going to fail out of the business. She's like, I'm not, I'm not wasting my time with you. You know, you guys come, you guys go, you know, it's not worth my time. And I was distraught, obviously, you know, but I think that more of us women need to mentor young women and and even men, I think men need to also mentor younger women. So those were two of the ideas. Um, It was probably like an hour to an hour and a half long panel. So there was a lot more discussion, but those were two ideas that stuck with me that I think we we could do a better job at. I love that. I love that. And both very, I think, tangible. So one, local to Minnesota, I'm involved with a nonprofit organization called Best Prep, where they actually offer classroom experiential speaking for financial professionals or a variety of business professionals. But there are loads of these nonprofits around the country, or I've even seen advisors I've worked with in the past just be like, I'm going to approach the school that my child goes to and say, Hey, I want to come in and speak. And like kids love it to have these business professionals come and speak to them and just open their eyes to career opportunities. So yes, love it. Yeah. More of that. And I was going to say meeting people where they're at, right? So the financial services industry, I don't even remember hearing about it. Like as I was in high school and, 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 you know, even in college, quite honestly. No, me neither. And so I, I think going and meeting somebody where they're at and, and giving them the information and then letting them go discover more. But sometimes it's just as simple as being present so that they even know that that exists. 
Right, exactly. Yeah, and and I think a lot of one of the things we we're talking about on the panel is a lot of young women think that what you do as a financial advisor is all math and numbers, and that can sometimes be intimidating, especially if you're if you don't feel like you're good at math or feel like you're strong with numbers. And the fact of the matter is, you can learn all those things. You can use technology and software and calculators for all those things. Like to be a great advisor, you have to be good with people first and foremost. You have to care about people first and foremost and be able to to win their trust and influence them to make decisions that will help them get to their goals. And again, all the technology and the software can be can can handle the numbers for you. So I also think it's about just getting the word out that this is more of a relationship business and you know um, a caring business than it is just the numbers and the math piece of it. A hundred percent. That's so well said. All right. So one question we like to ask everyone who's a guest on the show: share the best career advice you've ever received. Okay. So this is from my, um, the male mentor, cause I told you, I, don't, I didn't have a female mentor, unfortunately, but this is from my male mentor. And he told me I was probably in the business about six months only. And I remember being so concerned, like complete imposter syndrome, right? Like, I don't know anything. Why are people going to hire me to manage their money or do their financial planning? And so I felt like I needed to learn everything first before I went out to try to acquire clients. And he was like, no, no, no. You have that completely flipped. Go and find the clients and you will learn as you do cases and you will increase your you know, intellectual capital, spend your free time reading as much as you can about the business and reading the Wall Street Journal and reading Barron's in your spare time, right? But go bring the clients in because if you don't bring clients in, you will not be in this business in six months. So you're, you know, who cares? And that was great advice because I think sometimes, and this is the case for advisors, but also other women in financial services outside of being an advisor, sometimes, especially as women, we do suffer from imposter syndrome, I think more than men do. And we think we have to know it all before we take action or before we take the risk or before we try to get the client or before we ask for the promotion, right? Like they've done studies that men will apply for, for jobs if they can check a couple of the boxes versus women wait until we have all the boxes checked to, to apply for the job, like apply for the job, put yourself out there. So I think it applies to, to really any area or any career is, is, put yourself out there. You will learn, you will, you'll fall, you'll make mistakes, but taking the risks is how you grow. And that was uh, incredible advice for me. And it really changed the way that I showed up as an advisor. And I think it was one of the reasons that I did not fail out of the business, thankfully. Yes. Thankfully. <laughs> yeah. That is, that is <laughs> fantastic advice. Um, so you mentioned you're growing, you said advisors, if you're listening, you know, reach out. So if somebody is listening and does want to get in touch with you, what is the best way to get in touch with you and uh, the the team over at Curo? Yeah. So our um, website is curoprivatewealth.com. It's C-U-R-O, privatewealth.com. We are on Facebook, Curo Private Wealth. We're on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter, pretty much anywhere. Facebook. We're not on TikTok. Sorry. <laughs> but everywhere else you can find us. So yeah, please reach out if you're listening. We are really, really uh, actively growing, looking to bring on awesome team members who believe in our mission and want to help people and want to have fun too. We have a lot of fun. That's really important to us as well. 
I love it. And we'll also have a link to all the things on this episode on our Women Share podcast website. So um, we'll love to get you connected to anybody who's interested. And thank you. Thank you. This has been such an interesting and inspiring conversation today. I know I actually have a few takeaways uh, to apply about the intentionality of making time, not finding time to take care of myself. So thank you for being here. That's our show for today. If ours is a mission that you want to share in, please subscribe to Women Share on your favorite platform. With that, I'm Joanna Arisman. And I'm Leah Alter, and we will catch you on the next episode of Women Share.